0: You are listening to the 3CR podcast of in Psychedelia. in Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm.
1: 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going.
0: For more information, head to 3cr.org.au.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to in Psychedelia on this Sunday afternoon, Sunday after the US election, but um, as we're recording this on Friday, the result is still... There could be a change. I mean, it looks pretty certain that it's going to be a President Biden, um, and we're going to be talking a little bit later in the show with uh, Dr Sam uh, Samuel Douglas. Uh, he's the Vice President of the Australian Psychedelic Society and uh, a philosopher as well um, about some of those results from uh, around the US. Uh, 3cr.org.au is the place to go for more information about us. You can also get in contact with us on various social platforms that we are on, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram... Um, I promise the podcasts will be all updated very soon. We are going to be having a um, a, a break and uh, running some uh, some highlights highlight shows um, from earlier in the year and possibly over the past five years. We'll find some uh, some good ones and play those, um, but. Uh, That'll also be a good time to update all of those podcasts um, because I've fallen behind a bit. I blame COVID. Blame COVID for everything. It's easy. Um, Freedom of Species was the program that you just heard before uh, us this afternoon. uh, 3cr.org.au, place to go if you want to find out more. Uh, I'm rambling. So, hey, Jack. uh, Jack Ravel is sitting... Over here for me, I've got a different uh, visual arrangement if you're looking at this, Um, but uh, Jack is the editor of Drugs Wrap. It's a weekly newsletter um, dedicated to informing you about what's going on in the world of drugs. Drugswrap.substack.com. Jack, how are you going?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Um, Feels like it's been the longest week of 2020, which has been an incredibly long year, so that's saying something, but uh, we got through it, we're kind of nearly at the end of the, with the results of the US election, and hopefully get some clarity soon.
1: Do you have any um, any initial impressions? I still haven't quite processed everything that's happened yet, but initial impressions of, uh, of uh, how this election fared for drug policy in particular?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about that later on, but... Although it's been a pretty unclear and fairly um, non-decisive election, the drug policy issues that have been voted on because a lot of them were um, across several states across the US. Um, big, big success for, for a lot of places. Um, a lot of states have legalized the recreational use of cannabis. Um, Oregon has decriminalized all of, all drugs um, and they've also made psychedelic assisted psychotherapy um, a legal reality. So yeah, lots of really good results from the US election. So I think that's a good kind of silver lining we can take away from that, but we can get into that uh, yeah a little bit later on. Well,
1: let's, let's get stuck into the uh first article this is from thelatch.com.au, a uh, familiar author here as well um this is the trial of deborah lynch medical cannabis user and potential mp and i think uh we've had deborah on the program a few years ago as well uh jack as the author
0: <laughs> tell us about what's been going on with deborah Yeah, so this is, um, I think Deborah's story is so fascinating. So Deb Lynch is the vice president of the Legalized Cannabis Queensland Party. Um, I spoke to her a few weeks ago and I've been chatting to her over email because in 2017, um, police entered her home and found cannabis medicines and sort of cannabis products that she'd been using to treat this immuno uh, issue that she's got. She's got like a really serious um, kind of rare immune immune condition, which uh, can only seemed to respond to treatment through cannabis, uh, medications, um, obviously quite difficult to get at the minute, um, in Australia, given the legal circumstances. So she turned to, you know, making her own and that turned out to be a lot more cheap, cheaper and a lot more effective for her. Um, police entered her home in 2017, found all this stuff, confiscated it. Um, and as a result of that, her condition worsened and she ended up having to have her leg, um, amputated, which is obviously like a horrendous, um, result of that police intervention there. She has stood in the Queensland state election, which was last Saturday. And she, on the same week, on the I think the Wednesday before, she also went to trial uh, for that case of the possession of cannabis. Um, the judge was supposed to pass judgment on that Wednesday, but they've actually deferred judgment until the 11th, I think, which is next week. So we'll find out next week what's going to happen um, with Deb. But on the Saturday, she went and stood in the in the Queensland election for, I think, um, Sunshine Coast or, or somewhere... That, that region. Um, and her party, the Legalized Cannabis Party, they gained 8,000 more votes than Clive Palmer's United Australia Party. They got 24,000. 000- so I think it's an amazing result for a for a party that's really just you know volunteers, passionate people, um, you know people just literally doing it because they're fighting for the for the rights of medical cannabis users. I think it's a, it's an amazing story. So kind of a bit of um, you know self promotion there, but I, I think it's worth.
1: worth no, covering. no, it's it, uh, and it's good to hear what um what Deb's up to. I think uh, one of the one of the real. Um, Shining light, the good things that Deb has done is uh, be able to um, uh, tell her story, and then other people have come out and been able to tell the, their story as well. She's a very effective activist, and um, there's a lot of stories out there that are like this. She's not alone uh, on this, and this is you know this is why we still have problems with medical cannabis today. Uh, Sydney Morning Herald, Australia is awash with addictive habits. We need to clean up our act. Oof. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So headlines a little bit strange on this one. I think the piece itself is really interesting. It's, um, using, there's an upcoming SBS documentary series, which is premiering on I think Tuesday or Thursday next week called Addicted Australia. And it follows 10 people and their struggles with addiction. Um, through, through the series and it, you know it's, it's it's all kinds of things you gambling and, and alcohol and, and drug use and stuff like that and it uses that as sort of a jump-off point to examine how we treat addiction in, in society and the way in which gambling is is quite celebrated in Australia more more so than most other countries I mean coming from the UK to Australia and seeing you know VIP rooms advertised everywhere like gambling rooms in all the pubs and stuff like that and, and pokies you know that that doesn't happen in the UK and and the 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 race that's stops the nation, you know, obviously last week, you know, before it gets a hold of that, all the, all the businesses basically stop so that everyone can kind of gamble. Um, it's, it's weird. And, and, and so this article kind of analy- analy- analyzes that fact that Australia does have a really big issue with, with addiction, particularly gambling, and that we should, kind of consider how we treat those um, addictions in society because we treat, you know, drug addiction versus alcohol addiction uh, versus gambling addiction, you know, very, very differently.
1: Um, A bit later in the program when I uh, uh, speak with uh, Samuel uh, Douglas from the Australian Psychedelic Society, uh, we talked about one of the uh, problems to change there, um, that when you do have these uh, industries and the, you know, the gambling industry is huge uh, in Australia, I I think... um, I heard a statistic of what was it? We have more pokey machines than uh, Las Vegas, just in um, suburban Melbourne or something. I can't remember what the statistic is uh, off the top of my head, but we have huge numbers of uh, uh, of gaming machines. And um, but because it's such a big uh, a big industry, and there's a lot of money behind it, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of ability to keep things uh, as they are, even though you know rationally it doesn't sort of doesn't make sense. Anyway, we talk about that a little bit later. (laughs) Uh, And, yes, Addicted Australia is on SBS this Tuesday at 8.30pm and I've seen um, a few previews for it and it looks like um, another interesting one because we also had um, Sean McAuliffe's uh, On The Source uh, earlier this year, which was more focused on alcohol, but um, another similar theme, I think. Australia, look at yourselves. (laughs) Um, But now heading to the US, um, uh, the... uh, the attention grabber of the moment. Uh, Drugs won big during the US election. Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, Mississippi. I'll let you do it. Uh, We're on vice.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so there's a lot of stories, obviously, around this, um, tons of tons of coverage. Um, I just picked the Vice article because I thought it summarized it all quite nicely. But um, there's at least five states, and I might have even seen nine states that have passed measures which um, will, you know, increase access to drugs in a safer way um, across America. Um, So Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, Mississippi all voted to legalize um, cannabis in a recreational sense. And South Dakota voted to establish a medical cannabis access program. Um, Washington, D.C. also voted in favor of something called Initiative 81, which decriminalizes uh, psychedelic plants and fungi. Um, and yeah, Oregon has decriminalized all drugs for personal use and they've also legalized, uh, the use of psilocybin for therapy, um, as I said at the top of the show. So, so although, you know, it's a bit confusing at the minute in the U S, um, there is some good stuff coming out there. And I think one of the big takeaways from this is how, how much the war on drugs is basically being deconstructed, you know, state by state in, in all these referendums. Um, there's a map, which I've got in the, in the drugs route. Uh, this week which is basically where cannabis is legal and illegal in in the different states across America and I think just looking at it quickly I think there's three or four states where cannabis is completely illegal for any kind of use that's nothing you know most states the the vast majority of states will allow you to access cannabis either for medical use or just like recreational you know legal use Um, you know there's I mean maybe 15 states at the minute where it's completely legal so Things are changing pretty rapidly. And for a country that's been the the sort of head of the war on drugs for so long, um, you know, you kind of think, well, when's the rest of the world going to catch up and catch on to the idea that this is kind of over? This is not something that's worth pursuing and that we need alternative um, policies around, around drugs.
1: Um, just this uh, final bit, because I know I had, I had, I've heard conflicting things about what uh, Biden's position is on the drug war broadly. Um, but uh, it says here that uh, he is supporting is supportive of decriminalizing uh, cannabis uh, along with Senator Kamala Harris, um, who was the Senate sponsor of marijuana opportunity Reinvestment and expungement more act that was in the uh, uh, the, fe- the federal government that was before the federal government, not the state so Well, that was
0: something that was was supposed to go ahead before the election, um, the vote on that, but that actually got pushed back to December because they decided they needed to work on um, coronavirus stuff. Right. Um, But Biden and Kamala have both said that they want to push um, decriminalisation as, like, a big thing. You know, if, potentially, when they get into office, you know, um, kind of looking over at the TV, which I've had the news (laughs) channel on, (laughs) like, on Tuesday, but... uh, you know, if they get into office, that's gonna be a thing that they're really pushing. They think that decriminalization um is gonna be one of their front runner policies. So that's pretty interesting. Obviously, we know that um Joe Biden has kind of um an interesting view on this because he believes in you know mandatory rehabilitation, which we're not too sure like you know how well that's gonna go. But yeah, that, that's gonna be something that they're gonna push. Uh
1: and to the other uh big News country for drug policy, uh, New Zealand stuff.co.nz, how drug reform advocates just lost the battle for a generation.
0: Right. So last Friday, obviously, the results of the it- Zealand referendum on the cannabis legalisation and control bill, Uh, that returned a majority no vote. So the results show that 53.1% of people who participated uh, voted against the measure, while 46.1% voted in favour. That's something that we sort of touched on last week, but we... we didn't have like the full reaction and obviously there's been a lot of uh, response over the week. So I thought it would be useful to cover that. Um, there's also something that's being announced or, you know, has been announced on on Friday, which is the, the full results. So what got announced last Friday was the provisional results. They hadn't actually counted. There's about 480,000 special votes, which are kind of, you know, Ballots that were mailed in, and, and for various reasons why people didn't vote in person, um, and those results would have been announced on Friday. Obviously, recording this beforehand, we don't exactly know what those results are. There's some suggestion that that might be able to overturn the vote um, in, in favor of yes. Um, I think Chloe Swabrick, who's um, you know big on the on the drug reform thing, she's a Greens MP in, in New Zealand. Uh, she made a point about how in 1920s or 30s um, New Zealand had a referendum on uh, alcohol use and how that initially was a no vote The people voted not to legalize alcohol and then all the mail-in ballots from soldiers came in and overturned that vote and said actually yes we're going to legalize it so there is kind of historic precedent for that but you know we'll we'll just have to wait and see it's it's kind of a biggish margin that uh, the no vote has over the yes vote so I'd be surprised if it did get overturned but you know we we wait and see yeah i'm just looking at it on
1: uh, on friday when we're pre-recording this and it's uh sitting at there's about uh, 150 170,000 uh people difference um out of and they've counted how much of that i don't know whether it doesn't say um so yeah i mean it's it's good to good to hold out the hope um hopefully it will you know still turned but i i hope that it started a broader conversation there regardless i mean they've we've all been having this conversation for a long time but we'll keep having it uh to uh, vice.com columbia's oh
0: sorry just to finish up on that um the interesting thing is that they were going for full um, legalization and i think even the no votes has come out this week and said, yes, we need a change in how we um, regulate cannabis, you know, the use of cannabis, because I think they all sort of understand that it should be treated as a medical issue. And uh, potentially if the, if the referendum had been on something like decriminalisation, like a bit softer measure, it probably would have, would have gone ahead. So I think it will continue um, the debate over there for, for a long time. Uh,
1: Vice, Colombia's war on drugs will thrive no matter who's in the White House.
0: Yeah, so this is a bit of a crossover to um, what's happening around the world in, in response to the um, to the U.S. election. Um, basically, vice reporting from from Medellin in Colombia about how essentially Donald Trump's foreign policy on drugs in in that country has been to. Try and curb the production of cocaine during his term. He kind of said at the start of his term, um, you know, we're gonna support um the Colombia to stop producing cocaine and we're gonna fight these narco gangs and all that kind of stuff. Um, that hasn't happened. And cocaine is now being produced in higher numbers or greater levels than it ever has been in Colombia um, before Donald Trump's presidency. So basically, this article is saying that, hey, look, this is gonna keep going, you know, the, the the problems that the war on drugs are, are causing is going to keep happening no matter who's in power. You know, Biden would probably support a similar um, regime because that's kind of the U.S.- policy, like that's their foreign policy, unless there was a massive turnaround in that, which I'm not sure that there would be much support for, um, that's just going to keep happening. And, and, you know, Colombia, we've obviously know about the history of that with, with the cocaine trade and and everything. So it's, it's a, it's a situation that's just going to keep going unless the U S can change its policies on drugs. And, you know, this is why people are so fixed on the U S election because it affects way more than just people in in the U S.
1: Yep especially, I I mean, I can't even imagine how it must feel like for uh, countries that are bordering the US or not far away from the US that have been devastated by the war on drugs, when there must be a little bit of a funny feeling as you're watching uh, all these states uh, start legalising drugs and one of the reasons that you've been unable to look at a different policy direction is because... um, of the international treaties that are largely held up by the United States uh, through, through the UN and the repercussions that uh, nations will feel for that. Um, you know, that's how do we solve that? <laughs> that's the bigger problem. Trump moron, but you know, there's yeah. bigger problems. Um, finally, yeah, yeah. Yeah. evening standard, standard.co.uk metropolitan police record 43% rise in drug offences during lockdown. And this picture, um, which you can't see if you're listening, but we've got two heavily uh, armed and dressed body armour, all sorts, uh, big helmets, uh, police officers, um, one battering through a um, suburban uh, neighbourhood door, uh, red flowers in the foreground. Very pretty. (laughs)
0: What is... What's going on? (laughs) It looks always like... um... Just like my grandma's house in the UK, which is a <laughs> bit, uh, a bit strange to see. But essentially, um, Yeah, stories from the UK here. So the Office for National Statistics basically said that the Metropolitan Police in London have reported a 43% rise in drug offences between April and June, um, as officers have nationwide stepped up uh, what they call proactive police activity in crime hotspots. So essentially what the Office for National Statistics have said is that this appears to be that police have not had kind of enough to do over lockdown because everyone you know there's not as much crime happening on the streets you know they're not policing drunken disorder in public and things like that and have basically just turned their attention to to fighting the drug war um it's kind of showing that crime will be created based on what attention police turn to it you know if if police spent all of their time going after drug users and dealers and supply and things like that, that's all they would do because there is just so much of it that they're never going to have um, really any significant effect on it. Um, and, yeah, that's that's basically what the police in, in lockdown in the UK have spent their time doing. So almost a 50% jump in um, in drug crimes that they've recorded because they've just turned their, their attention to it.
1: If you want to uh, read more, com is the URL. You can subscribe to the newsletter. It comes out every Friday uh, with a wrap of news from around the world and here in Australia. And Jack is the editor of that, chief uh, editor, uh, Dr. Chief Editor. You can have any title you want. It's yours. Um, Thank you very much, Jack.
0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast.
2: And don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence. But you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now.
0: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
1: Tune in to Done By Law.
0: An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives.
1: Done By Law. 6 p.m.
2: Tuesdays.
0: Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunna and Bidwell and the Naro people and that sovereignty was never ceded.
2: a 3CR supporter.
1: This is in psychedelia. 3CR, 855am, 3cr.org.au and um, 3CR Digital, but also the podcast, <laughs> Spotify, iTunes and the 3CR website uh, is where you can find all of the information. Uh, sitting with me today over there in the window is uh, Dr. Sam Douglas, uh, who is a... Um, Oh well, maybe I'll get you to uh, introduce yourself a little bit, Sam. Uh, you're from the Australian Psychedelic Society, but also uh, do philosophy. What flavour of phlo- philosophy is it? Philosophy,
2: philosophy, whatever, whatever. Um, primarily, whatever I'm, I'm paid by the university to do. Um, my my area of specialty is philosophy of language, um, which no one cares about. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I mainly I, I teach uh, professional ethics and. Uh, educational ethics and critical thinking. It's kind of my professional philosophising.
1: Something we need a lot more of in the world I think and I can't tell whether the past few days have been an indication that there is some or that the madness has become so tangled that we can't quite tell anymore but um, yeah, US election how are you feeling after, I mean we've been in isolation but then um, seeing the uh, US election we're going to be um, talking about some of the Results for drug policy, but
2: yeah, yeah. From- between like the two things that seem to have been my my psychological, you know, bugbears at the moment, are, you know, uncertainty and waiting. Um, so yeah, like this past couple of days has been a little stressful. The <laughs> combination of a year of uncertainty and waiting. Um, this past couple of days.
1: And I realise that by the time this goes to air on Sunday, because we are still pre-recording, um, there might be a result. But um, b- the, the best um, estimate I heard, I heard somebody say basically, wait until uh, Inauguration Day on January 27th. Yeah. <laughs> it's this period between now.
2: Yeah, I think, look, it's hard. It's, it's, you know, I feel like each morning when I wake up and we don't know who the president is, it's slightly easier. Uh, but um you know it could be worse because i think belgium one year they couldn't sort out the coalition for their parliament and it went for something like 500 days their coalition negotiations that they didn't actually have a working uh parliament there so um i guess you know we should just be thankful it's probably not going to be that bad um and if it is it's probably going to be really bad so, you know, um, don't think about it too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been trying <laughs> not to with a, a lot of these things. Maybe focus on Australia where we can um, uh, sort of understand what's going on, but then um, that also tangles me up. Um, and, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a hard year to get, you know, anything done. We're only just um, able to, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, doing a, a small uh, gathering for the Australian Psychedelic Society, but we can't have a public gathering yet because you can't invite people. The ten The ten people are going to be out soon, although... May have an announcement this morning about that all over the place too many topics at once let 's go to the u s with the good news from the u s <laughs> drug law reform has been a big winner um, and uh, we 've been reading a few of the uh, of the reports as uh <laughs> shall we
2: shall we do a summary first sam well, look there 's a lot to summarize um, I think the main ones that people are going to be aware of are the legalisation of recreational cannabis in New Jersey, um, plus a bunch more other states which I'll forget now off the top of my head. Um, We've
1: got Arizona, uh, South Dakota, uh, that's for medical cannabis, Montana, South Dakota for uh, for both medical and uh, regular marijuana um, and Mississippi for medical as well. And that's just in this short list that I've got from the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition on Instagram. I think there's more
2: oh yeah there is there is more um i, I guess the other big the other big movement is for uh, psychedelics so in uh washington dc um they have decriminalized uh psychedelics can't recall the exact list of everything that's covered by that i believe it's mainly just natural uh, psychedelics but i have to, to double check that uh, the other one is that in Oregon, psilocybin <clears throat> is going to be legalised for therapeutic purposes. Um, and, the, and the one that I think is really the biggest one is is Oregon is effectively decriminalising um, all personal possession of all drugs, uh, full stop. Which is,
1: yeah, really huge. Um, yeah. I, I haven't looked into how this all works in terms of the the federal government and the state government, my understanding has always been that in the US there's a lot more sort of freedom of the states to go their own way, but then there is also this sometimes a contradiction depending on the sorts of police that are doing whatever work it is.
2: Oh, yeah, it's it's bound to be kind of weird. Uh, At least, as far as I can recall, you know, in Oregon, the state laws are likely to overrule any county kind of local... Uh, considerations, but yeah, I mean, I guess consider. You know, you could technically uh, still be arrested, but you know, uh, but the FBI are, probably aren't going to be particularly interested in, you know, that uh, you know, gram of weed in your pocket. Um, so, uh, so long as the state police leave you alone, you're probably pretty safe.
1: It seems like such a um, sweeping array of changes. I've sort of I I've, I forgot that there were so many going at once and, um, you know, with everything else going on, um, haven't sort of... I don't think it's quite um, sunk in yet. This seems like it's going to be huge and have... You know, because it's going to grow the industries, grow the legal industries, and with that we've seen more lobbying, we've seen more um, uh, articulate argument to the people in power about why we need to change these things. That's a whole other kettle of fish, but (laughs) we're seeing change. (laughs)
2: Yeah, we are. Look, I think it's, and, and in a difficult year, for citizen initiatives in, in the US, because um, these, all of these these changes have come through, these citizen ballot initiatives, where you get a certain number of signatures, that means you get to put something uh, on the ballot. Um, but the problem, I think, that they've had is that a lot of places, um, you couldn't collect enough signatures to get things on the ballot, which had sort of, so this year, I think there are actually less well, fewer ballot initiatives than there are uh, usually. It's just that there's some very significant ones have managed to, to get up.
1: So that's five more states. Um, just reading here on uh, politico, politico.com. Um, yeah, five more states uh, have been added to... How many were there? Was it in the low numbers? Seven, eight? It's just been
2: growing and growing and it, growing. It's gradually been growing, and a lot of it's been quite low-key, I think not reported very widely in Australia, like um, medicinal cannabis in the US is huge. It it's, it's must be the majority of states now. Um, and um, now for recreational cannabis, it's certainly a, at a kind of a very, um, you know, it's a significant proportion now. Um, as I think one of these, these stories, it might have been the Politico story that said that effectively a third of, the, a third of US residents now live somewhere where recreational cannabis is legal, um, which is is, really massive.
1: It's also, this is is a um, slight side note, but um, it's something, I guess, that's good to remind ourselves when this happens and keeps happening over the US, that they were also the ones who were the most firmest uh, pushers and keepers of the uh, United Nations uh, treaties that um, mean that most countries, uh, if they do change their law, they'll get sanctioned, uh, likely by probably the US. It's, um, I feel like that's just one part of this bigger picture of what's going on, going wrong for America at the moment.
2: The weird kind of, the the politics of it and the international politics of it are just really twisty. um, it, It comes down to sort of, you know sort of annoying different parts of the UN and breaching different things and then you know um I mean for them for the US it's a it's really a win they've got nothing to to lose at, at this because um they don't they're not likely to face any significant sanctions uh, and importantly the, the important difference I guess between the US and here is the US doesn't grow um US doesn't try and grow poppies uh for um opiate manufacture And I think that's one of the things that holds us back here politically is because our licence that allows all those Tasmanian growers to to have all those fields of poppies um, is potentially jeopardised if we piss the UN off um, and no-one wants to tell... No-one wants to be the politician who's responsible for sad harms.
1: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. When you do have money... It, like in a legal market, then those those people, businesses, entrepreneurs, they have their uh, business interests to protect oh, yeah. them uh, or, um, you know, potential opportunities to take advantage of. And they'll obviously think that they should be <coughs> the ones that are first able to have those opportunities as well. It's sort of this, um, I, I don't know if that's even the wrong way to think about it because they've been following all the rules and doing what they've been told. So, <laughs> you know, it makes sense that they kind of get this leg up. But then I feel like we get this terribly nepotistic attitude happening in Australia because of that.
2: Oh yeah, it's it's totally a thing. I I think the the technical term for kind of the extreme of this is, is regulatory capture, where the people in, who are in kind of in an industry have effectively have so much control over the regulations that govern that particular industry, that everything just kind of happens the way that they want it to. Uh, and then and then usually, almost indefinitely, uh, you know something bad happens because of this, um, because you know people constantly acting in their own self-interest just usually ends poorly. Um, so yeah that that kind of you know that's you know, I don't know if that's quite the situation we have here in Australia, but it, it's partly that you know in, in terms of uh, a lot of these reforms, you have people have vested interests in in the status quo, um, and the people who have vested interests in the status quo. Are well connected to the politicians who maintain it, so
1: um, it's hard it's, to. It's shoot. why reform is is quite hard because there are all these um, all these vested interests in all sorts of different ways. I mean, uh, in the US, um, it's it's been known for a long time that the uh, the the armament arming of the police with all sorts of things has largely largely been justified on the uh, need to wage war on drugs, Um, and you know then that has all sorts of flow on consequences. Um... Just looking here, uh, have heard a little bit about what Joe Biden, who's likely going to be the next U.S. president, um, has uh, to say about uh, drug issues, and it's um, depressingly conservative, but with a smile. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to get.
2: I'd be very surprised if we get anything radical out of out of Joe Biden in that regard, right? Uh, and you're certainly not going to get it from Kamala Harris, uh, is his uh, you know likely vice president. Um, so you know it's. I mean, the the mandatory rehab thing just drives me crazy. Um, It doesn't make sense, Um, it's like the vast number of people that you will send through mandatory rehab have absolutely no need for it, it's just a waste of of resources, Um, it just makes it harder for people who actually do need help to to get it Um, and then ends up costing the state a heap of money sending people to rehab who who don't need it, It's, it's a crazy thing. But yeah, I mean, if you're attached to the fact, if you you can't get, let go of that assumption that all drug use is is harmful, um, then you know that's that's the reaction I guess you'll have.
1: And that's, I mean, that's the um, the the tricky, prickly end of the uh, of the drug war. I, I think when people are in a certain position that doesn't make any sense and un, willing to fight for that position, so definitely unwilling to, to, to come across. It's I, I often find myself arguing with these people, thinking maybe one day I'll make the right point, but I, I don't think that's right. I think um, a, lot of, a lot of people talk about those middle ground people that are far easier uh, to... because they're thinking about it already.
2: I think it's... Look, a lot of this stuff, you know, is... is requires kind of a really strategic approach um, there's things, I guess, that, like, there's some people that you're never going to convince. Um, in fact, there's a lot of people that you're never going to convince, but of the people who are really um, dead set against the position you want, um, there's techniques of, of winning over a percentage of them that are pretty reliable, uh, and you can kind of use, you know, you combine those with swing seats, you know, and or swing states and, and kind of to just, to get uh, your position Across the line. Um, I don't know how well these things have ever been really worked on here, but I know in the US, in some of the states where they've kind of, uh, with things like uh, same-sex marriage in some states, um, have been got across the line by very clever, um, the, what do they call it, deep canvassing. You, you know, you go out and you sort of talk to people, have a conversation with them, and these are people that are likely, they're in demographics that are absolutely against uh, same-sex marriage. You go out and you have a conversation with them and you be reasonable. You don't try and convince them of, of the position that you want them to take and you empathise with them. Um, and if you do that, I reckon about 10% of people who are dead set against your position can be switched that way. Um, so and, it's just like empathy hacking or something? Um like I said, it's called, called deep canvassing. I think the trick to it
1: basically is to... Sounding, it sounds like hacking... People's yeah, community.
0: yeah.
2: Well, I think the trick is that you you find like that common ground. And the example that I'd read was that worked really well in the, in the Latino community, which is traditionally really against same sex marriage. Is is they would, you know, the canvases would go, look, you know, do you know, have you ever felt have you ever felt discriminated against? Well, of course, people in the US who are, who are in the Latino community will say, yes, of course, you know, we have, and uh, we'll go, well, there, you know, like same sex people, and um, just that. A um, little kind of bit of common ground doesn't work on everyone. Doesn't even work on most people, but in the right situations, changing ten percent of how people vote—that's enough to, you know, to swing something. And, and in the US, where typically these things have tiny margins, um, that's enough to kind of to bring about change. So I think it's people working those, those sort of angles. I think I think a lot of activists there in the US are a lot better at that kind of. Um, they're a lot more organised and usually have a lot more money
1: behind them. Yeah, yeah. And there is a a certain kind of, um, just thinking of a few uh, American friends that I've uh, spent some time with and there's a certain like rigour or vigour or something about them and they're very articulate. I think they they just are really good at honing their passion um, in a way that I don't see in Australia as much. I think we try and work together and not step on each other's toes too much and um, I mean, it helps in the US that
2: you can actually, there is a path to these things. You know, you you do the thing, you get the signatures, and then you just, once you've got enough, once you have something on a ballot, you've just got to convince more than 50% of voters to, to go for them. Um, and knowing that a lot of voters aren't going to know what you're talking about anyway. And so, you know, you've got a 50-50 split, you know, <laughs> half the time anyway. Um, you yeah, know, the, the road that we have here is, is is much more more difficult. Um, almost everything that's happened in terms of, of drug law reform in the US has been through ballot initiatives. Um, There's are citizen initiated uh, and, and clearly we don't have the same uh, capacity here. We tend to elect people who then um, can spend the next four years doing absolutely nothing that we want them to.
1: 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and Streaming at 3cr.org.au. The psychedelic is much more than the trip. Connect with the Australian community to benefit, enjoy and contribute to psychedelic culture in a safe and supportive environment. The Australian Psychedelic Society have chapters across the country. Find the others on social media, YouTube or at psychedelicsociety.org.au. We are the kings in cold metal rings Surrounded and hounded and tattered and frayed With bows on our strings We race to the brink and breathe in the dust of the bloody below Of mud and upstream We are the kings that no one can earn. and the snow. fiddle band with Kings of the Mud from their 2019 album Another Subtle Atom Bomb and you can uh, find that wherever you find your music. It is in Psychedelia on 3CR and I'm chatting now with uh, Sam Douglas, philosopher and Vice President of the Australian Psychedelic Society.
2: There's still a real concern about um, about sort of bots and, and you know bot farms in particular, particularly on, on Twitter. I think there's still a bit of concern about it. But um, yeah, it hasn't it just hasn't featured as much at all. There hasn't been. I mean, it might be that we're not going to hear about it until later, or it could be that that Facebook's pretty gun shy now after the whole Cambridge Analytica thing, and um, doesn't want to face you know a hostile president and a hostile potentially you know a hostile Senate um, with you know having been implicated again in in tampering uh, with democracy. So I think. Um yeah people had a pretty low tolerance for it, and I mean if they did it again um uh, then you know uh, it's probably going to go pretty badly for them. so a lot of u s politicians would really like to hammer them at this point
1: I, I feel like um it's evolved a lot over the past four years as well and and i i feel I feel like we haven't quite seen what has been going on behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, I think it's more more sophisticated, it, more of it happens in private groups. So it takes Facebook and just kind of the general population and journalists longer to find them. And I know one of the, the tricks that, that I mean, tricks, but it's a, a more common tactic now for journalists uh, to have to infiltrate private um, Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of the top level. It's private Facebook groups, and then you might have private Telegram chats, um, you know, or, or WhatsApp. You know, uh, groups and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of stuff now. A lot of the, the misinformation um, and kind of organising around this is, is not even happening on Facebook anymore. Yeah, because um, they, um, they've
1: essentially taken it as a as a um, uh, it's a battle for them because uh, social networks like Facebook, like Twitter, um, YouTube have been working on their algorithms, and they're just chopping people out chopping people out if it looks like a bot get rid of it get rid of it so maybe a bit overzealously I say quite personally but uh, <laughs> uh, maybe some of this stuff has been working and these people are getting frustrated because they can't get the organic audiences they, they once got but then that also worries me because then we've got gatekeepers again
2: <laughs> oh yeah right like it's, it's ridiculous like if you know ideally you wouldn't have I mean in an ideal world you would never leave this in the hands of, uh, of private companies Um, uh, You know, unfortunately, sometimes the best you can hope for is that private companies will try to not do a terrible job of it. Uh, And that's probably as good as we can realistically hope for um, in the near future. Um,
1: Let's let's change up. Let's let's talk about your uh, articles. You've been writing a few articles for The Third Wave, wave thethirdwave.co. It's a podcast and information um, hub. And uh, you've, uh, I don't know if this is your most recent one because you've had a few up recently, but uh, um, this one is, can ketamine overcome depression? The answer might surprise you.
2: <sighs> I love those headlines. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's the most recent one that I've had uh, published there. Yeah, I've got another one on the way sometime soon, but um, that's the most recent one that's up. So can you surprise us now? Well, I'm probably not going to surprise. What is the what is the surprise? I don't think it's, I don't think it's a surprise for anyone who knows anything about ketamine. Um, um, it is. It is. Uh, a, looks like it's a very effective uh, treatment for depression, um, particularly um, I guess sort of very much treatment treatment resistant uh, sort of major depressive disorder um, and and really severe things like suicidal ideation. And, uh, yeah, so, and it's very quick. Uh, that's one of the things that's really noticeable about it is that, um, you know, they'll have a regime where they'll give someone, you know, some maybe treatments between once a week and once every three days. And usually within um, three treatments, you can tell if it's going to work on someone. Works on what, you know, they think, depending on whose figures you're looking at, it's, it's showing sort of improvements. You know, in around you know upwards of fifty percent of people treated. Some people it works really well for. Some people not, not so well. Um, but you know, usually pretty quickly, if someone's going to respond to it or not. Uh, and that, um, I think, you know, allows rather than that, that in itself is a benefit over existing antidepressants where you might have to wait. Like you know, they'll say, oh, you know, try going on Prozac. Give it three months. You know, um, in the meantime for a lot of people a lot of antidepressants have, have really terrible side effects um, ironically you know, one of the side effects of, of, of potential side effects of a lot of antidepressants is to make you suicidal um, yeah. which you know, is kind of a problem um, so you know, um, even if, even if uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting with ketamine because it's this very quick effect if it's going to work and if it is going to work, like, if it's not going to work, you know very quickly so you can kind of change tactics to something else. Because we're
1: talking about, like, psychoactive doses. Oh, yeah, like for sure. Are...
2: There, this is not, um, I'm led to believe this is not, it's not like K-hole. Like, it's it's not full dissociation, but definitely enough um, for it to be, um, you know, a, a sort of a, a psychoactive kind of... Um, you know, there's some contention about whether you call it psychedelic experience or not because it's a dissociative. But in terms of in terms of the actual experience of it, you know, if you if, you know, if you in terms of what the experience is like, you know, I think for a lot of people describe it as kind of a, a very inward, uh, like a, a sort of an inward psychedelic experience. Um, so yeah, it is enough. It is definitely enough for that. This isn't a microdose. This is definitely a, a psychoactive dose.
0: Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM.
1: You're listening to In Psychedelia.
2: How are people going to be able
1: to access this? What what is the next step? I suppose towards
2: this is a really tricky one, I think, <clears throat> and and um, because unlike uh, things like uh, like the, the more serotonin based psychedelics like the, you know, uh, psilocybin and, and uh, LSD um the effects from ketamine some people it's permanent but it's not it doesn't appear to be as long-lasting as as what we've seen with other psychedelics so um for some people but um, but also this is because of the the severity of symptoms that that the people who are typically treated with ketamine are experiencing like people who have been treated with ketamine are, are suffering probably some of the worst uh you know most most severe kind of depression symptoms um so um they do Need sometimes kind of like you know regular retreatments. You know, um, I mean, we're talking months later um, for for most people, but um, it does need to be kind of an ongoing thing for some some people. It appears that way anyway. Um, so yeah, well, I suppose is that
1: is that worse than taking a uh, a drug every day for breakfast for no, people? It's
2: like, it's like, you know, once, once a month, you go and do the thing, and then and then you know. Um, you find for i think for a lot of these people this would be a really good i think they'd say it was a good alternative um the the tricky part i mean i think the hardest part is that the only reason this is happening in the us is because it's it's it's, this is an off-label prescription if you know what i mean it's not this isn't it's not technically approved for this use like ketamine is is legal for doctors to prescribe but not for this particular or it is it's not illegal to prescribe for this, but it's not FDA approved for this particular purpose, um, which means that uh, insurers don't cover it uh, in the US. So this is, I think, one of the, they've got like a cost challenge in some ways is their main problem.
1: So it's in a position... So if you've got a drug like um, psilocybin, for example, it's more difficult to be able to treat people with that in the way that this is happening with ketamine because it's more highly scheduled. Well, because ketamine has recognised um, medical uses in, in other parts of, uh, yeah. of medicine, there's sort of a, a
2: way yeah, to access it. Exactly. Um, and, and it was a few years back, it doesn't happen much in this... It was a few years back, there was a few doctors were offering this therapy in Australia... Um, use because you, you can you know you can use doctors you know, if they want to use ketamine as, a, as an anesthetic or, or you know for specific medical purposes they can so you know you can technically sort of have this gray area where you could uh treat people give ketamine infusions to treat uh, depression um i think that's largely been uh sort of cracked down on here because you know, for various reasons but in the u.s they said are they're, they're utilizing this this kind of loophole at the moment um but it's not really a loophole it's just it's I hate not. that term <laughs> loophole
1: <laughs> that kind of implies that the little way around this thing you've yeah. found was uh, was was or was meant to be thought of as illegal as well no that's yeah, not yeah, no no it's it's, it's
2: <laughs> look it's, it's above board but uh, at the moment that because of the um, there's still some some hoops they've got to jump through for the FDA in the US before um, they can uh, get insurers to cover it. Uh, I think that's their kind of their challenge. Is because once you get that, then um, it makes it a lot more accessible. At the moment, um, I mean, um, I mean, I was surprised at how with some some of these clinics could do it. But you know, if you're looking at a um, sort of a, you know getting one one ketamine you know uh, dose per week for four weeks. Um, you're not going to see much change from a thousand dollars US, for right? That. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of people um, don't have spare thousand bucks of cash, uh, yeah. right? Um, you know, if it, if it's you know if it works for you, um, you know that's money well spent. But um, if you have that money, right, um, so there's yeah. kind of there's there's challenges, there's challenges there, uh, and I think, but there are a lot of um, there are a lot of ketamine trials ongoing at the moment um, um, so I think they're coming up on getting that, um, that full approval for ketamine's use for depression um, which would be really good uh, it's, I think it's really necessary because that will kind of open reopen the way for <coughs> um, for people to start to be able to work on that in, in places like Canada or Australia where we basically for various reasons we can't um, even though it's it's reasonably you know effective, it's not it's not perfect, you know this isn't something that's going to work on one hundred percent of people, but um, nothing is. But you know nothing is, and and it's it's got a pretty, you know it, it compares very favorably to what we're trying with depression now. And um, you know it's reasonably safe. it's 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 kind of the risks are reasonably well known with it. um it's it's quite well tolerated. You know, uh, I think it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting option, one that, that really should be an option, particularly in, in, um, in cases where you know, people are in real sort of severe yeah. Uh, crisis. You know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, the article, Can ket- uh, Ketamine Overcome Depression? The Answer Might Surprise You, is at thethirdwave.co. Uh, the author is uh, Dr Sam Douglas, who is sitting... Uh, across from me right now um, on the Zoom panel. If you're listening, that doesn't make sense at all. I'm so sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've just been doing a little little summary around the US uh, and also having a look at um, Sam's articles. You've got more articles up there as well. Um, just uh, before you go, is there anything you'd like to uh, direct us toward that we should uh, read from you next?
2: Look, um, next, next, I don't know. Look, I have one, that, I mean, one that I already uh, had... It's hard to link back to the um, to, to my other articles there. It's a pain because they don't actually – you can't just click on my name and go to all my articles, but I guess – Yeah, you know, that's what I tried to do. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about me. Um, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think – I think they're, they're that one, I was going to say, I was, that one, um, I, I enjoyed writing that. That was a good article. There's just so much so interest. Can
1: psilocybin um, help us face our greatest fears?
2: Yeah. So. There's really interesting research going on in the US, and this one was around – um, I guess inspired by research around uh, using psilocybin to address these kind of existential anxieties uh, around, <coughs> um, you know, end of life anxiety, which is kind of a particularly existential sort of anxiety. But the other research that, that I looked at for this was um, using psilocybin to treat, uh, as kind of part of treatment for. Um, Older, long-term AIDS survivors uh, who, you know, in the US, who've had uh, typically a group—you know—they've they've survived people who are old enough to have survived like the worst of, of of the the AIDS kind of epidemic, um, and they've come through that, uh, but it's left them, you know, with multiple complex traumas uh, about sort of survivors' guilt and and and. You know, PTSD and really difficult things that have kind of impacted their sort of enjoyment and purpose in life in a very kind of, yeah, in a way that's, again, this sort of existential uh, anxiety and, and, and kind of fear. Um, and that was an interesting study because this wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like other things where they're very, a lot of studies, it's very, like they pick people who have one thing, they're just depressed and there's nothing else wrong with them. Mm. which is great for, for trials, for clinical trials, but not what people are really like in real life. Like, you know, a lot of people who are depressed, they, they, you know, they have anxiety, they have other things which rule them out of being in a lot of clinical trials. But for this one, these are people with really complex health and mental health stuff going on. Um, and then they sort of basically had a combination of psilocybin treatments and then group therapy before and after. So it was an interesting, interesting bit of research. But anyway, I, I like that and I've got something you know, I have a thing on, on uh, something coming soon on Third Wave with, uh, with psychedelics and mindfulness. So,
1: so follow the uh, Australian Psychedelic Society Facebook page uh, or Twitter um, and you'll be able to uh, find Sam there. Oh, do you want to give out
2: your Twitter or we can keep it secret? Uh, look, um, people can follow me if they like uh, at Beach Philosophy uh, on Twitter. That's Beach Philosophy.
1: I won't ask you the question.
2: I was I needed a Twitter Twitter handle uh, and I was living near the beach there is no (laughs) there is no there's nothing no it's like what am I going to do this will do you know Um, yes
1: yep observational um, usernames I, I love it uh uh, thank you very much for having a chat with us today. Um, oh. I hope um, hope we can see each other in in non-pixel form soon. Yeah, uh, really. a few things before the end of the show this afternoon uh, on Tuesday, the tenth of November. The Yarra Drug and Health Forum are having their annual general meeting from 1.30 till 3pm. Uh, it's going to be uh, chaired, I suppose, chaired uh, or by John Fain uh, from ABC or formerly from ABC Breakfast. Um, and the topic is what does community look like in a post-COVID world? Um, a question a lot of community groups are asking. Um, we've uh, just been talking earlier Uh, about just figuring out how exactly can we do events. Uh, So that's on Tuesday. You can register at ydhf.org.au Also, um, make sure to check out the DanceWise pill testing explained video, and you can also find the poster. Uh, Just head to their social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, or Twitter. Uh, See you later. Query near. This is
2: in psychedelia. if you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct
0: Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next, next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia Live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.